Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Father, we pause here now and we thank you, Lord, for the time that we have already had to praise you. And Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise. I know that we can't even begin to, to muster up, Lord. We can't share, words can't describe how amazing you are, how grateful we should be to you for all that you have done. We know, Lord, that the only way in which we can show you the, the praise that you are due is to just give you our all, to surrender to you, Lord, to give you our lives, to give you our hearts. That's what you desire is all of us, Lord. And so I pray that today, through the various aspects of this service, that your spirit would move, Lord, in our midst, and that you would convict us, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would, through the power of your spirit, through the amazing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you'd transform hearts and minds here today, that we would leave here today different, more in love with you, perhaps, Lord, having a greater understanding of your desire for us corporately, Lord, but also individually. We're going to touch on a special topic here today and over the next few Sundays through this month, Lord. And I know that it will convict some of us. It will sadden some of us. It will hurt some of us, Lord. It will be uncomfortable at times. But Lord, we we seek to shed light on things that are going on in our culture today, in our communities, right in our very own backyards, Lord, that are difficult things to wrestle with. Yet, Lord, the gospel would compel us to deal with them, to, to shed light to to take action. And so, Lord, I pray that that would begin to happen here today as well. Again, that your spirit would move and that you'd do something mighty and powerful here today, Lord, we pray. So, Father, I thank you for each of these that you gathered here together today. May we love one another in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing this morning, you can turn to Acts. You can turn to Acts chapter 21. That's where we ended up last week. You know, the book of Acts, I've said this a couple of times before, The book of Acts is an incredible book, and as a church, as we seek to go through the book of Acts, it is for us, the Word of God as a whole, of course, is, but Acts in particular really gives us insight into, this is the church, this is the beginning, this is kind of our model. We all want to be an Acts church, or we should want to be, but there are parts of it that you get to, and it's very narrative. You know, you hear about Paul going from this place to that place, and all week long as I'm studying through the second portion really here, almost to the end of Acts chapter 21. I'm thinking and praying, picking up in verse 15, Lord, what's the message here? What is it that you want us to hear? What are we supposed to take away from this? Lord, what is it that I may be missing here? What do you want us to see? And even praying still this morning and not knowing quite what our timeline was going to look like. So I'm just praying, Lord, what do you want for us today? And trusting that he was going to give it to us. And I pray this morning in the short time we have that we could actually connect the dots here, and they're not difficult to connect, but on some of the messaging that's been woven through the past couple of weeks, even yesterday at our men's study. So for men that were at our study yesterday morning, you're going to hear a little bit of a reiteration of what you heard there, because for me, I believe this is what the Lord is communicating to us, because there's some of you that are probably sitting here today, and you've been inspired You've been convicted. There's something about what Jen shared. There's something about the pro-life work that maybe the Lord has been impressing on your heart for a while. And you're sitting here wondering, me? What do I do? How do I take a step? How do I take action? What can I do? Lord, you know, who am I? And I'll tell you, that's a really good place to be. You know, you've heard me say before that we're so disqualified, we're qualified. 
for a person to be in a place where they're wondering, Lord, how could I? Well, then welcome to the lineup of a great many heroes of the faith that said, who am I? What could I do? And so I pray that perhaps you're in that place today. But then maybe that's where the enemy starts to come in and to speak lies to you about, yeah, you're right. Who are you? How could you do anything? What could you do? What about this? What about that? What about this obstacle or that obstacle? And sure enough, before too long, you get firmly back in that place of comfort and you say, yeah, Lord, just show me I'm supposed to stay right here. And you fail to step out and to trust and to believe and to listen to what it is that His Spirit may be drawing you to. And I say all that to consider once again where we're at here in Acts chapter 21. And so there's going to be some repeat here from last week and the past couple of studies. This is the ministry of Paul. Paul's nearing the end of his journey and he knows it. He knows where he's at. And we get insight here, and we'll see it in Acts and then a couple other verses here, insight into how Paul was feeling, what he was thinking, how he was encouraging others. And in Acts chapter 21, in the beginning, we got through verse 14 last week, and I hope you recall what was happening here, because as Paul was continuing to journey at the beginning of chapter 1, it says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kaz the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. Finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. Paul was making his way on his missionary journey, and he was heading back to Jerusalem. That's what he had on his mind. That's what he had on his heart. He knew he was called to go back to that place that would likely mean certain imprisonment, if not death. And here as he arrived in Tyre, the first group of disciples that he met, when he says disciples here, this was us. These are disciples. These are those who want to learn more than want to follow Jesus. These were other believers in the area, fellow Christians that he met with. And when he got there, they told him, in verse 4, it says, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now remember here what we talked about last week. As they are communicating to Paul here, it would seem that though they're communicating through the Spirit, and so Paul should listen to that, right? Here it is, the Spirit saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But what we have to remember here, and this is maybe what's happening in you and in your own life, is that, yes, the Spirit is telling you something. The Spirit is calling you to something that is very uncomfortable, drawing you out of your comfort zone, drawing you to a place where perhaps you might need to sacrifice to follow Him, to serve Him. And so, yes, I believe that they were accurately interpreting the Spirit as it related to the fact that when Paul would go to Jerusalem, bad things would happen to him there but they wrongly interpreted in their flesh that that meant not to go. That that would mean that it wasn't the will of the Lord for him to go to that place. You see, there's many people along your journey that are going to tell you that some sacrifice that you're going to make, some radical way in which you're living your life for Christ may not be right. It may not be in line with the Spirit because in the eyes of the world, it's foolishness. But it doesn't mean that it's not the will of the Lord. And so knowing that they couldn't convince Paul at this time, they walked with him to the edge of town and they knelt and they prayed with him there before he got on the ship and he went to the next place. And he continued on in his journey and he came to a place he was able to meet with and see Philip the evangelist. Philip, one of the original deacons, one of the seven, who was faithful in serving the Lord, went out to the desert, preached the gospel to the Ethiopian. I mean, just incredible things there on the part of the faithfulness of Philip. And here he had the opportunity to fellowship with him. And this man named Agabus comes in. Agabus is a prophet. 
And if you jump ahead to verse 11, it says, When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, this is Agabus, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So here it is again, an individual who's rightly interpreting, prophesying what it is that's going to happen to Paul when he goes to Jerusalem. But notice, Agabus never said, don't go. Agabus never said, you can't go, you're forbidden to go. What Agabus says is, when you go, this is going to happen to you. They're going to bind you. They're going to imprison you. And well-intentioned believers at this point said, Paul, don't go. But what does Paul say to them? In verse 13, then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased to saying, The will of the Lord be done. They recognized at this point that we're not going to convince Paul. He's a man on mission. He knows what he's called to. They said, The will of the Lord be done. And that should be a place that we all arrive at where we can say with confidence and faith, the will of the Lord be done, regardless of what the outcome may be, regardless of what the cost is, that we know if we're called to something, we're going to go to it. We're going to go through it and we're going to trust him to equip us and to provide. And then even if that means death, we say the will of the Lord be done. Because why? Earlier in chapter 20, verse 24, Paul said, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy, he adds, in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Recognizing that we can go in and we can try and make a difference and we can try and do different things, but absent the gospel of Jesus Christ, the transformation of their hearts, their minds, and their lives will never happen. Paul was an individual who was called to serve the Lord to share the gospel, and he was able to get to a place in his walk because of his communion with him, because he prayed and he sought the Lord, that when God spoke, when the Lord spoke to him and called him, he knew he was to go faithfully. Are we there in our lives? Is the Lord speaking to you today? Has there been something that has been on your heart that you've been resisting, but you know the Lord has called you to it? The old adage goes that if he calls you to it, he'll call you through it. He'll equip you. And that's just not something that we knit on a pillow or a little cross stitch for the wall. That's something that we have to believe. You know, before it was gone, family Christian stores that went out of business, sadly. I mean, they had a whole area of artwork. You know, and some of those things are so pretty and we want to buy them and we want to put them in our house and we want to hang them up. But I got to tell you, sometimes there's a big gap between our rhetoric and our practice. We've got to close that gap. And folks, just like I said last week, please, please hear this. Never. Do I intend to speak from a place of condemnation, but one of humility? And I'll remind you that every time I bring a word here, he's had to deal with it here first. I'm in that very same place on a regular basis, wrestling with, Lord, is this what you want me to do? But what about this? And what about that? But what about the cost of not following after the Lord? Because Paul counted the cost. I believe him wholeheartedly when he said, I'm prepared to die. In fact, I think he was probably at a place where he was saying, please, Lord. And some may look at that today and say, whoa, well, that's kind of dark. Well, yes, if he says, I have no hope and I just want to die, well, then yes, that is a dark place. But he had a glorious hope, just like you and me, to say, 
are any of you at a place today, and you don't need to raise your hands, but where you're thinking and you're waking up in the morning and you're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. I am, because I know what awaits me, that we could be heavenly minded in that way. And here's what happens. As Paul then takes off on his journey, well, here we'll read in verse 15, and after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. See, he's coming in and he's providing in detail. He's sharing in detail. And what that means is that he was describing everything for James. He went and met with James. James, the half-brother of Jesus. And here he comes in and he begins to describe to him all the things that had happened on his journey. And they're overjoyed by it to learn of all that the Lord had done through Paul and those who were with him. And then they begin to tell him about the Jews who are there in the area and how they're zealous for the law. And it says in verse 21, they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. You see, you're likely familiar with that because earlier in Acts, remember, there was the dispute that was happening amongst whether or not the Gentiles should be following the law. Should they be keeping the law? And they had arrived at this decision, James and the other elders that were back in Jerusalem, to say, hey, as it relates to the Gentiles, here's a few practices that would be beneficial for them to keep. But as it relates to the rest of the law, we won't require that of them. But throughout his journey, throughout his time, those back in Jerusalem, the Jews that had become Christians but were still very zealous for the law, had wrongly believed that this lie that Paul had said, hey, the law is pointless, you shouldn't do it, it's wrong. Paul never said that. What Paul said is, listen, as it relates to the law, if you think you need it to get to Christ, then you're wrong. You don't need those practices, you don't need those works grace and truth. And what they want him to do here, and this is very much debated as to whether or not, hey, did Paul compromise here? Did he backslide? What, what's going on with Paul? Because, and we won't read this today, this will be a part of our message next week, but as it goes on here, we'll see that Paul goes along with this a little bit. He goes along with some of these practices as a way to make peace and to appease those who were concerned about this very thing. I think this was wisdom on the part of Paul, and it goes back to where Paul says, I'll be all things to all people, Right? Where Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the word of the Lord to go forth, for the sake of, of being able to share Christ with them, yeah, I'll do this. And what we see Paul do here is he just goes along with some of the ritual practices as a way to make peace. But he never is able to get through the entire process here because what happens is they stir up a great mob against him. They stir up a great mob against him and the whole crowd comes and they lay hands on him. And he ends up being chained in two chains, just like Agabus said. And he's taken away into prison. And here's the thing that we've got to look at here today. Not only can we look at this and say, wow, there was a cost. There was a cost that Paul was willing to incur 
There was a sacrifice that he was willing to make here. Look what he did. He's going to prison. Would I be willing to do that? But here's the thing that's, that's extraordinary about Paul's situation is he knew it beforehand. You know, if we go out and we're trying to serve the Lord and something happens to us along the way, hey, you know, it's persecution, it comes our way, we deal with it, we work through it. But Paul knew it beforehand and he went anyway. And so I submit to you this morning that there has to be a willingness on your part to count the cost and to say, Lord, I'll go. I know what you're calling me to. I know what the risk is. I know what the sacrifice is. I may not understand all of it. It may be even greater than what I can understand or see today, but I'm willing to go because you're calling me to it. This is the piece I'll share this morning. This came from our study yesterday in men's study in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Here again, Paul, this was earlier on in Paul's journey that we would have written this. And here he's writing to these believers in Corinth who are coming out of the world. And he says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says a lot here. What he says from the very beginning is, listen, we don't boast in appearance, we don't boast in flesh, we boast in the transformed heart. But that's ultimately what God cares about is what's going on in here. Not what's going on out here and all around us and the things we maybe trying to become, pretending to be what the world says is success, or any of those other things. No, God looks at the heart. Paul says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. For if we are of sound mind, it is for you. What he's saying here is, is just like when we say, oh, I'm beside myself right now, that I just, I can't even understand this, right? What, what Paul's saying right here is, he says, if I seem crazy to you, if I seem like I've lost my mind, know that it's because I'm living for the Lord. I mean, it's for God. If I sober up a little bit, if I make sense, it's for you. <laughs> trying to get through to you, I'm trying to make sense to you. But ultimately what we see there is that for Paul, regardless of what we saw with him, it was ministry to the Lord. He was living for the Lord. Why? Because the love of Christ compelled him. The love of Christ compels. And he went on to say that Christ died for us. And if you don't believe that today, if you don't believe that Christ died for you, well, then that's the foundational piece that will prevent many of these other things from making any sense. But if you do, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, if you know that he died for you, well, then that love that he's shown you in his death upon the cross, the fact that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, took sin upon himself, became sin for us to reconcile us to God. Well, that's the most amazing love we could ever experience before, and that should compel us to something. That should cause us to, to live differently, to pursue him, because we're ambassadors we get the great privilege to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. And we cannot, we cannot 
under any circumstances, look at a world that is lost and think, how dare they act like they're lost? That's foolishness. If anything, we need to look at that world that's lost and our hearts break and we say, I have the solution. We have the love of Christ to share with them. And if we're not doing that, then shame on us. I firmly believe that this year has the potential, not just for us. I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you this much. I don't want to be celebrating New Year 2019 and look back and go, huh, man, I really thought something great was going to happen. I don't want that. I want to look back and say, wow, Lord, man, you moved in an incredible way. And I absolutely believe that he's able. He wants to. So I have to ask myself that if he doesn't, then whose fault is that? Did the Lord decide, eh, I'm just going to chill for a while? No. I have to look at myself. I have to look at my own heart. I have to say, Lord, search me and know me. Because if I allow him to do that, if I allow the Lord to move in that way in my own life, if each and every one of us commit to that, if we say, yes, Lord, here we go. We are going to be all in, sold out, ready to go. Then I firmly believe, I'm confident that we can see a mighty move of the Spirit, the likes of which perhaps we've not experienced in our lifetime. Because there is something happening. There is something happening in our community, and we've got to lay hold of it. We have to take action. And I pray that perhaps some of what we cover here this month will prompt us to do that as a church, as a body of believers. Amen? In verse 27, Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. This harkens back to Acts chapter 6, verse 13 specifically. As Paul was there to have an encounter with Stephen. Stephen, the first martyr, being accused of what was ultimately the very same thing. And so it's interesting now, Paul then Saul, who presided over the death of Stephen, now being accused of that very same thing. And they were crying out, verse 28, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has denied this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now the garrison would have been a large group of soldiers that was very close by, don't think that them getting involved was because they had some sort of concern for Paul. Oh, that, hey, this guy's being unfairly accused here. No, they were there to keep order. Word had come to them that there was disruption in the city, and they didn't want that to spread any further. And so they arrived quickly on the scene. In verse 32, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So now the community here, they see that here comes the the soldiers, and so we better cool it now. Then the commander came near and took him. It'd be pretty easy to figure out what's going on. There's one guy who's being beaten in this mob. He's the one. We better get him out of here. Once again, not necessarily because they were concerned about him or his safety, but whatever's going on here, he's causing a disruption they don't like, and we got to get him out of here so that we can make peace. So the commander comes near, takes him, and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was, and what he had done. So now Paul's there. He's been beaten by the mob. This isn't new to Paul. Paul's been beaten before. 
And here he is, and he's bound in chains, and he has to, at this point, remember the prophecy that was told of him earlier in the chapter from Agabus, who came and took Paul's belt. Remember, Agabus comes in, and he says, give me your belt, and he binds the belt on his hands and his wrists, and he says, to the man who this belt belongs, he'll be bound in Jerusalem. And so this is the point where Paul's got to be thinking here, okay, here it is, Lord. All right, you said this time would come. But even though he knew before that that's what was going to happen to him, it didn't stop him from going. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. They couldn't get it calmed down. And they said, we need to get this guy out of here. We got to get Paul out of here so we can calm this thing down. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Are you seeing this now? I mean, Paul is bound. He's being hauled out. It's so significant, the mob there, they're beating him that they have to pick him up and they have to carry him out of there because of those who are seeking to take his life. Try to put yourself as best you can into Paul's situation at this moment. Not only one, did you anticipate that this was what was coming for you, but now it's actually happening. Are you afraid? Are you fearful for your life? Are you at least thinking about the pain that you're enduring because you're being beaten? You see, it's tough for us to even wrap our minds around this, but even more than what happens here, because the multitude of the people that follow after him crying out, away with him. Who did they cry away with before? Jesus. And so his mind has to just be rushing with these thoughts as he's considering now too just what he's being accused of, that he's being led away in chains, that they're saying away with him, and he has to be thinking about his Savior. And then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? So here's what we have to understand is now happening in this moment. Paul is in the middle of a mob. They're shouting away with him. They're shouting kill him is what that translates essentially to. They want to beat him. They already have been beating him. Now he's in chains. He's being carried away. No doubt the soldier, because of his responses, looking at him thinking, this guy, is, he's probably bloodied at this point. The crowd wants to take his life. This has got to be some type of criminal or somebody who's just antagonized a big group of people, probably not a respectful individual. And now in the midst of all of this, he has enough awareness about him to an well-articulated Greek, which wasn't common of somebody who would have been uneducated at this time, essentially says, I beg your pardon, sir. May I have a word with you? That had to catch the soldier off guard. You think he'd be yelling, help, help. This hurts. Oh, the pain, something. I'm sorry, sir. May I have a moment of your time? This is kind of like how this is being received here. And so then this guy looking at him is thinking, who in the world is this guy? So he says in verse 38, this is the soldier, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? So it's a bit of a case of mistaken identity that happens here. And verse 39, but Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Whoa, wait a second. You want to go back there. You want to go back. This soldier, he mistakes him for this guy who led a rebellion and took him out to the wilderness. They caught most of the people, but the leader got away. No, that's not him. Paul begins to give his credentials now. And he says, I want to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. 
And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. So now there has to be a silence. Paul, this guy who they just sought to take his life, they want to murder him. They would have killed him. They would have beaten him to death. And he asked permission to go talk to them. Because you know what Paul's thinking right now? This is my chance. This is the opportunity that I have to speak. This is the opportunity that I have to share the truth. This is what I've been looking forward to. (laughs) This guy's crazy. Is he not? What would we do? Listen, if you found out that there was some sort of riot happening in the area that was specific to the very cause that you were passionate about, is your first instinct that you're going to say, I want to go talk to them. Are you going to lock your doors? lay low a little bit and say, hey, we need to wait for this thing to just kind of pass over, right? I mean, and even that's kind of a silly example. We can't, this doesn't make sense to most people that he would be willing to do this to go and address them again. And it didn't make sense to the people who sought his life either, because as he comes back out to address them, it had to be like, whoa, wait a second, why is this guy coming back? And then as he begins to speak in Hebrew, as they get the sense of this guy's, he's, he's with it. We just beat him, but he's got his senses about him. And he comes to address them. And no doubt he's praying and he's seeking the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, this is the moment. This is why I was bound to come here. That I have the opportunity to proclaim truth to the very people who I once was, who I sought to be. And I want to read through this here fairly quickly because we now have here Paul's testimony that he shares with them. And he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. The word defense there is apologia. That's where we get apologetics. He's literally here defending the faith. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And so now he's got a captive audience. They're listening intently. And he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. What he's essentially saying to them is, I am just as zealous, or I was just as zealous as you are, if not more. I was instructed by the top teacher. I absolutely get where you're at, what you're coming from, what you're thinking, why you would disagree with what I've done or what I've said, but let me tell you what God has done. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Paul's sharing of his testimony. He's being transparent with them about the things that he had done. He was willing to be vulnerable and to tell his story for the cause of Christ to say, I murdered people, men and women. As also, verse 5, the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Now I want us to understand here, They are about to riot again here shortly. But notice that they are not rioting at the mention of Jesus. They're not rioting at the mention of him following Jesus, of having an encounter with Jesus. They're still silent. They're still listening. That word, Jesus, the name of Jesus, hadn't yet prompted them 
to lose their cool. And that's interesting when we see what does cause them here shortly. In verse 11, And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said in verse 14, the God of your fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Christian, may I submit to you that that right there and that one verse is a great example of God's will for us. That for you, if you are a believer today, to recognize and know that God has chosen you. And maybe you, as you consider your testimony, you too think I'm dirty. I'm not worthy. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to say. That's garbage. That's absolute garbage. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. He desires you. The creator of the universe. Give his one and only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for you, that you should know his will, that you should see him and hear the voice of his mouth, that you would be led by him. For in verse 15, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And so here was the direction that was being given to Paul. And I feel that we have that same opportunity as believers to be a witness, to share of what he has done. And I love that Ananias says in verse 16, and now why are you waiting? What, do you think you've been blind for a few days? A little troubled by that? Get up, let's go. Let's take action. Let's make this thing happen. And the same thing could be said to the church today. Christian, why are you waiting? And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I would say to you, why are you waiting? You're here today for a reason. You were willing to come. I didn't see anybody bound coming through that door. I didn't see that. You're here of your own free will. Something said to you, go to church today. I don't want to go to church today. Go to church today. It's cold outside. I don't want to go outside today. Go to church today. You listen. You're willing to be here. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, well, then why are you waiting? You are here. The Spirit has drawn you into repentance. Make this the day. Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And in verse 17, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So now even here, Paul says to them, I had an encounter with Jesus. I was in a trance. I had a vision of him. And he said, get out of here. They're not going to hear your testimony. And they don't yet riot. But here he says, and he recognizes the mission that the Lord had sent him on what he had called Paul to. So I said, Lord, They know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Verse 22, and they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. That's what triggered them here. They were content with Gentiles to become Jews, to come to Judaism. They were content for Jews to become Christians if they were still to keep the law. But to just go to Gentiles, to just go to these dirty dogs as they considered them. And now they say away with him. He's not fit to live. 
Christian, may I submit to you once more here that, that right here we see yet again another great example of the issue of life, the sanctity of all human life, to suggest that all individuals, all beings are created in the image of God. And Paul was called to go to them, but they considered themselves so superior, so above them, that they couldn't even bear the thought that he would be called to the Gentiles. And so as we bring this thing to a close here today, we must consider the way in which we are advocating for life, all life. We must consider the way in which we're allowing the gospel to compel us to love one another, to to bear one another's burdens, to minister to one another. We must consider what's going on in our own community. We have to take the issue of life seriously, whether it's advocating for life in its most vulnerable form, still in the womb, or whether it's advocating for life before they take their very last breath in a hospital or hospice care or anywhere in between. As I said, Paul here would be in prison now through the end of the letter on Friday as I was teaching at Kirkland Correctional Institution. There was about, there was a little over 50 men that were sitting there, 50 men that were inmates there. They were in, you know, they would look like they were inmates in a prison to hear them sing praises to the Lord to afterwards allow them to share what the Lord had showed them through the Word and to, and to just hear how much they love the Lord. One individual there who came up and said, I'm just so encouraged by the message today, and here's what I'm thinking, and here's what I'm doing. And in the course of conversation, him sharing, you know, I have a life sentence. I'm never getting out. And for him to be so at peace with that and to know, and from his own lips, I am exactly where the Lord wants me to be. Yes, he's sorry for the things that he had done. But in this particular program in the prison, you know, what they do is they, they bring guys through a, a training program. They actually can, they can earn an associate's, a bachelor's, a, even master's. There's guys that are learning their master's. And when they're trained up, if they're guys that have a longer sentence or even a life sentence, you know what they do? They're training them up here at Kirkland, and then they get to transfer them throughout the state. Isn't that incredible? For that very purpose, that these guys learn the gospel, they learn the word of God, they learn how to teach it. They learn how to preach it, and they say, great, we're going to send you to a different prison. Go do the same thing there. Throughout the prison system so far, since the beginning of January, through this program in the prison system in the state of South Carolina, there's been over 600 decisions for Christ. And there's guys that are there saying, listen, they're not defending the things that they had done. But they're saying, but now, now that I know Christ, I have a sense of my purpose and what I'm called to do. And Can that not be an example to us? and advocating for them, and that's an issue of life. I don't need to go into all the political things that are in upheaval in our country even in the last two days, but it's an issue of life. It's an issue of race and immigration and refugees and all of these things. And listen, again, I'm not going to make this thing political, but what I will tell you is that the gospel would compel us to love people, to advocate for life. We must take that seriously. Let's close in prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give the opportunity for you to do business with the Lord here and for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit may be doing in your life and in your heart here this morning. You know, maybe you're here and you were, no doubt you were touched in some way. And it's not an issue of condemnation. It's about the Lord wants to move in your life. He wants to deal with that. He wants you to be able to to give that over to Him. Maybe it's been limiting you in some way because you've been in sort of your own prison. Maybe you've been too afraid to share your testimony. Maybe you're here today and you know that you lack boldness as it relates to telling of what the Lord has done in your life and you need to repent of that truly and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've withheld 
sharing with others what you've done in my life, and you want boldness in that. Maybe you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And today's the day where you need to surrender. Whatever it is, I pray you'd take it to the Lord, that you'd offer that up to Him, that you would just articulate to Him what it is that you're dealing with and say, Lord, work in my life. Change me, Lord. Take this from me. Whatever it is, and specifically if you desire to invite Jesus Christ into your heart today, just simply cry out and say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness and I'm asking for that now. I recognize that your Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins. And I praise you and thank you that I can have forgiveness in Him. And I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart, to come into my life, to rule and to reign, that I could live for you always, Father, and have eternal life in heaven with you. Just tell Him about that. Ask Him to do that work in your life. But for all of us, know that the Word of God is clear, that all life matters, all life is valuable, and as Christians, as believers, we are above all the ones that should be advocating for, defending, and seeking to impact lives in our community with the truth of the gospel. So, Father, do that work in us, Lord, and through us, we pray. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for all that you have done, for all that you are doing, and all that you're going to do. We have much to praise you for, and we give you thanks this morning. We pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.